This episode is brought to you by HP. When you're working apart from your team, feeling connected can be a challenge. Presenting HP Presence, a more thoughtful, human collaboration technology. With enhanced audio and video features, you can experience more genuine collaboration and feel more connected. Be in the room, from any room, with HP Presence. Learn more at hp.com forward slash presence. This episode is brought to you by the first ever Toyota Corolla Cross. Sometimes everything just clicks. Like when your favorite song comes on at just the right time. When there's two tickets left for the show. When everyone in the crew can agree on what album to listen to. When everything just feels right. That's the feeling of the first ever Toyota Corolla Cross. Available with all-wheel drive, Qi wireless charging, and advanced JBL sound system. It's everything you need. Nothing more, nothing less. Learn more at toyota.com. Honey Hole Hangout, and welcome to, the, welcome to the 90s music review. It did. You're, you're it did, right. It, it just, does not. It the good fit. morning it does not fit. No, there was not. A, I kept waiting like, oh, maybe not. No, no, it's not no, now. No. No. Wait, no, 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 no. The backup singers are in now. No. Okay. Good morning does not work with Bad Mother Goose. No. Well, it doesn't work with anything with true lyrics. I think it probably would have worked during those like first few bars of well, that it just doesn't work sick with bass funk beat. music. It just... The good morning is not a good pairing with fun. Unless he was like, good, 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 good. <laughs> good morning. I don't know. I think you'd have to change up like groovy morning. <laughs> well. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, Let's got- redo it. I want to say that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you guys probably noticed our music changed. It's because we have Alvin Dado as our interview guest. We've already recorded that portion. He gave us permission to play some music from his old band, which I found on Spotify. Funny story, he didn't even know it was on Spotify. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, we, we played some uh, Bad Mother Goose this morning and or this evening. And uh, I hope you guys will stay tuned for our interview with Alvin because it's a great interview. It is. A little teaser. What would you guys say the teaser for our interview with Alvin would be? He shot somebody. He yeah. no. Well, he's responsible for Nirvana's success. Oh yeah, and yeah. JTs, and JTs, and Dave Mangum. Yeah, he didn't credit that. We credited him with that. Yeah. So stay tuned, and you guys can hear all about that. Yeah. Zach, what whiskey are we drinking tonight? So we are drinking the final whiskey that my dad brought me. We are bringing in some good old George Dickel, which is like people always think of Tennessee whiskey as like um, like Jack Jack Daniels. Mm-hmm. George Dickel is the other Tennessee whiskey that people think of. It's probably like the second most popular one. Okay. It's definitely a more old school, like, that's the bottle I s- expect to be thrown up onto a saloon table. From like years ago. Yes. Yeah, and it's not like fancy. It's just like. No, it's just it's just a simple, yeah. elegant, good looking bottle. Right. So if you guys don't know, Tennessee whiskey has to be filtered through coal. Uh, so every single ounce of Jack Daniels is filtered through a silo that's full of little tiny chunks of coal 
that they say gives it more vanilla flavor and kind of smooths it out. Um, Which this one on the nose, when you were pouring it, I got vanilla. It is vanilla. However, it does not smooth it out. I would no, say it does not. Um, it's Especially also sour if you mash. Let it breathe right. It's also sour mash, which means. Uh, they use part of their last mash to make the next one, kind of like sourdough, where you use kind of like old uh, fermented uh, yeast and mixture to make yeah. new bread. Sour mash, same thing. You use old mash with a lot of new mash to make it. So um, I personally, I've been drinking it the whole time we were on with Alvin. I thought it was great, uh, but I'm also a, I like whiskey over ice and had an ice ball in it. That kind of mellows whiskey out a little bit, kind of waters it down. Yep. Just saying what the reality is. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Zach had poured me a minute ago, a uh, and you a, went neat, and I went neat. It was very hot. It is, and which and it's it tastes hot, but it's not a hot whiskey. Like it's only ninety proof. Yeah, and so. I got more hot on the nose. So when you originally poured it, we let it sit there for like minutes. Yeah, before we even took a drink. 10, 15 minutes. And I picked it up and just gave it a little nose test, and it was straight like that alcohol-y smell. I think it it smells fantastic. Yeah, but you just poured that. I think on the initial pour, you got that vanilla. You got those you do tones a little cherry. Stuff. But it, when we let it sit, when I let it breathe for a little bit, I picked up way more of the alcoholy. Yeah. On ice, it's fantastic. Yeah, and to be honest, I'm drinking it neat. I could use probably a little splash of water just to kind of mellow it out a little bit more. I didn't think the taste was bad, even no. drinking it when it, it breathed. Sorry, it, it wasn't hot on the tongue. I just got a hot in the in the nostril. Oh, see, I think I think it. I do think it tastes great, but it is a little. It's a little like sticks with you. It's a little burn your throat a little bit. You know, I don't get the. Oh yeah, yeah. that I don't get that whiskey face. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, okay, so this compared to Jack, though, what do you guys think? Old number seven versus Dickel twelve. I would say. I would say like for me, old number seven, classic mixer. Yeah. If I'm getting a mixed drink, more often than not, I'm doing Jack or Makers, depending mm-hmm. on what I'm in the mood for. Mm-hmm. This I wouldn't mix. This, this for me, with ice. Which, which you drink well, all your stuff with ice I anyways. drink all my stuff with it because I like, I like it cold. I like the mellowed out flavor a little bit more. Mm-hmm. This is fantastic. Honestly, I think this is a good all around. I, I, I could see you doing. You could mix with it. I, I think you could mix with it pretty well. Yeah. And I think it's a great sipper mm-hmm. as well. Uh, whereas Jack is predominantly a mixer. mixer. Like, you're not going to sit there and sip. I mean, you might, but. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not. That's not one that I'm, like, looking forward to just sitting down yeah. with. Yeah. Maybe our next bottle then will be a, uh, like, the next one we get to try will be, like, a nicer bottle of Dickel. Like, one of their uh, small batches or something. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I'm I'm with you guys. It's only $23 bottle, too. So, it's on par with Jack. Okay. Yeah, maybe a little bit more expensive, like $3 more than Jack. Yeah. And I don't want people to think that we're. Poo pooing Jack. I I like Jack. Like Jack a yeah. lot. I'm just I think for the over under on it, uh, I would probably start going with George Dickel. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I think I forgot to mention what we are in case we have any new listeners. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're a '90s funk we're whiskey in, review. <laughs> yeah, we're a '90s funk. We listen to '90s funk music and we review whiskey. That's it. That's always. So, thanks for coming <laughs> to our TED Talk. Uh, no, we are a podcast. We like to uh, 
hunt and we like to fish and we like to spend time outside and we like to hang out. Apparently, it's, there's ghosts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we like to hang out and sit around and talk with each other. And so uh, uh, we're glad that you guys joined us for our podcast. We talk about hunting and fishing and other neat things in nature. Yeah, neat things in nature. Cliff, mm-hmm. you uh, pull the, pull your mic a little bit closer. Give me a second. I'm just sitting down from the ghost opening the door. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, planned a event with us that was this past with, weekend. Uh, planned it with y'all. Planned it for us. You planned it for us. As a group, yes. Yeah. I didn't want to cut you out, but it sounded like for y'all. No, no. <laughs> Everybody was in it together. Yeah, it's, no, you planned an event for Honey Hole Angling. Mm-hmm. Exclusively, you planned it. No, y'all posted it on social media, so okay. I don't do Okay, social. I'll take credit. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what is your recap from the event since you are the one who did all the effort? I think it was a, a fun event for sure. I feel like it was very – if, you, if you're unaware, we had our Hunt, hunt With Us event this past Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, September 11th, which I kind of used as my dove opener as well for the season. I hadn't gone yet. And I know is the opening day for early till as well. Uh, I feel like it was a tough hunting situation for everything that kind of happened or didn't happen, rather. Yeah, like we, two birds total we saw. So, that second bird, though. The second bird should have died. Yeah, that was a fu- that's a funny story. That so, is a funny story. So let, let yeah, me run you, through it. Yeah. So I wake up at like 4 a.m. Yeah. And packed up my truck and everything. And I had talked with you guys about getting there early and everything. I was on the phone with Landon while I was driving down. Uh, get out there, unload the truck. I had Hatch with me, which he did really awesome. To me, that was the highlight, was just seeing how well Hatch actually performed. He, really, he hung out with us the most time, which... Which norm, sometimes in the past, he had a tendency to want to wonder a yeah. little bit. Yeah. This time, he stayed with us. If he wasn't right next to me, he was with another hunter trying mm-hmm. to get more pets and rubs. Yeah. Can't uh-huh. fault a dog for being a dog. No. But I unload hatch. I start walking down. I knew about the area that I wanted to head. I start walking down, and it's pitch black, and all I have is a very minor headlamp with me, like a, a cap on, so one that just clips onto your hat. Oh, those suck. I, I like them, and I don't. There's yeah. definitely like pros and cons to True. them. True. Got down, and I started seeing some other people in the general area that I wanted to go. And I was the first one out in that field. Like, I opened the gate. There were no trucks or anything. I don't doubt it. And somehow, these people got ahead of me. Well, come to find out, they walked a different fence line than I did, and I was trying to cut through and all this other like stuff. Like, you went straight there. But sometimes when you go straight there, because the the way the ground is, yeah, because it takes it's freshly dissed and all this other stuff, you it almost was, just need to grab the fence or the road line and then uh-huh. go down. Um, but they got ahead of me. I finally called up with them, started talking. They they asked what we were or what I was do, planning on hunting. I said uh, it's dove today, and he, they said that they were going after till and said where they were headed. And I was like, well, that's about the same area that I'm headed, but I won't interfere with y'all. Did you drop the honey hole name? Uh, no, I don't think I did. Dang. Um, uh, that could have been a couple more listeners. <laughs> what a failed event. <laughs> I had other stuff on my mind. <laughs> so I'm walking out there with all the decoys and my bucket 
my shotgun and hatch hurt. out there trying to get out there. And I keep stumbling because it's freshly dissed. There's not good footing in a lot of areas. I'm yeah. literally pretty much, when I look back at it, zigzagging almost across this field instead yeah. of walking a straight line. You can't walk a straight line out there. Um, it doesn't exist. So I finally get out there, set up all the decoys. Landon shows up, give him a few to set out, and I finish setting them. And then everyone starts coming up. On my way out there, there's actually a dove on the ground. But, of course, it was before shooting light and all this other stuff. So, uh, Hatch actually went up to it, pointed it, and I was like, get him up. And Hatch actually gets him in his mouth. What? Yeah, Hatch had it in his mouth. Wait, I didn't hear the story. I didn't hear the story either. I think you're, are you fooling us now? No, I told you this. No, I thought you said he pointed. No, I said he got the dove, but the dove started doing, like, swelling around. Hatch doesn't like it when birds flap in his mouth, no. so it lets, it lets it go. I don't like it either. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't either. <laughs> but Hatch does have a tendency to, if you don't kill a bird, he... Yeah, like, if you don't fully kill, kill that it. bird, he, he's like... He's like, he'll, he'll he's like there. it's there. He's like... Yeah. <laughs> and he'll, like, put his nose up, and then he'll kind of, like, paw it a little bit, but he definitely doesn't put it in his mouth. No, he doesn't he's like, like no, no, when you, it's, when you it's kill, flapping. He's like... You kill it fully, and then I'll do the rest. <laughs> I'll carry it back to your chair for you. <laughs> he's like... I don't understand what's going on. Am I supposed to be doing this or not? Nah? Yeah. Um. So he he gets it up. Birds flopping, flies off, or not flopping, but flailing rather, flapping its wings, flies off. Walk to the spot, set everything up. Landon shows up, sets mm-hmm. stuff up. People show up. We sit around for like an hour and a half. Nothing flops. Well, there was like, one bird. Uh, y'all be- say that there was one that flew right before LST. Yes. Legal one, shooting time. There was one bird that flew before legal shooting time. It was sitting in the field, and I think that that bird knew it's about to be legal shooting time, and I need to get my butt out of here. Mm-hmm. And it got up, and it flew up and bounced. Yes. But then we wait around for like an hour and a half, hour 45 minutes, and we actually have a dove. We're all kind of like chit chat and well, standing around. Well, there's no around. birds flying, so we're there all was absolutely nothing. Stuff. Like not even high flying where we couldn't shoot at them. There was just like no birds. Period. So really, this has just turned into a social well, event. All right, so that's it that's was a fun kind of bad, event. kind of bad to say no birds flying. There's a lot of ducks flying and a lot of chichis and, and a, a lot, lot of, of chichis, but mm. there were no dove flying. And so we're we've turned it into a social event. We're just talking, hanging out, whatnot. And we actually get a dove to fly in and land in the middle of the decoys <laughs> as no one's paying attention. No, no. The best part is we all like stared at this dove for like five seconds before. Like we were like, oh, there's a dove. And yeah. none of us moved. I think because we were like, well, really? For me, it was like almost like I was surprised and caught off guard. And then it was there was that questioning in my mind of like we've been watching Martins fly for so long. Like there was that double take of like me questioning myself. Like, is that a dove? Oh, see, I was a hundred percent sure it was a dove, but there's always that like, eh, well, some, I, somebody I, else will get it. You I know, was standing, I was standing up with my back towards it. And y'all all said, there's a dove. I turn around and say, yeah, that is a dove. And then that's yeah, when we were, we were all sure it was. That's a dove. when Greg stood up and then You're gonna put did you stand up? I stood up, but I didn't pull the trigger. Because by the time I, I didn't stand up, by the time I registered and everything, Greg had already fired his first shot, and that dove was flying straight away from us. I know three and people hatch. I know three people shot, and I want to get into that. Don't don't say anything yet. I don't uh, think three people shot. I think just Greg twice. 
Greg shot twice, but I'm sure I'm pretty sure two other people farther down from Greg going towards you shot. Not a hundred percent sure. And I, I real I know this because as soon as Greg shot, Hatch broke and took off and I saw another shot go over Hatch. Oh, I think and I at that point was kind of like in my mind, I was like, I know they don't hunt over dogs, mm. but that really got under my skin because mm. I was like He's going to get shot. And that, that's a problem with Hatch. Mm. And it's also a problem with the hunter. I don't know who it was. Mm. And I'm not putting Greg. I don't think it was Greg. Because Greg shot and then Hatch broke. Mm. Well, the reason I didn't pull the trigger is because Hatch was in my sight line. I was like, there's a dog I'm not shooting. I didn't feel like bringing one dove home. <laughs> 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 like, honestly, like at that point, one dove is like. Mm-hmm. Either way, it doesn't it's matter. Not, but, it's more effort than it's worth. through. The amount of times I've hunted over dogs and worked with dogs and stuff, I know if the dog's out, you don't shoot. It doesn't matter how many birds are out there. Like I mean, it could be unless yeah. it, unless they're like high. You know what I mean? I even say it's if he. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been I've been places where if the dog's out, it's no. Well, I've up. been I did that pheasant hunt in Utah, and the rule was above your eyes. Yeah, that's and what that's I'm how like, normal line and like upland hunting goes. Yeah. But I know in like a lot of duck blind scenarios, dogs out. No well, and duck blinds are different, too, because that dog stays until that bird hits the ground, you know? Yeah. Well, and another thing is, too, that's probably on us because we put the event on. Uh, I, I'll just say that's on, on – I'll just put the blame on us. That's, you know, we put the event on, and if people haven't hunted over dogs before, and I, that's then we right. didn't go over the rules. I, right. take, I take full responsibility in that, that I did not let people know the rules of that. Yeah. And that's, that's my bad. But also, there's a lot of things going on at that moment. It's it's a difficult situation. It is. It is. But, but I'm re- not. I'm not. And glad ups- nothing did happen. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? I'm not That's upset because nothing happened. I put it away. Right. I'm fine with it. Everything's good. I do think that's a good point, though. That the next time we do it, we probably if Hatch is out there or if another dog is out there, just quickly go over the rules of what what expectations are for yeah. it. It's yeah. No, it doesn't cause any harm. You know, nobody gets upset. It's just easy to set it up that way. You know. Yeah. I will say a uh, quick note uh, on the check new check-in system for public lands is really easy. It's beautiful. You say new, but it's been around for a few years. Well, the yeah, last time the last time I've been to that spot, we saw they had they had paper. You, had you to, didn't have to. They had the e-check-in, but they also had paper. Yeah, I would I would sign in and sign out via paper. Yes, yeah, the here. e-check-in is the way to go. But I didn't know about the e-check-in until we had uh, Clay Roberts on the podcast. Pretty sure I told you about it last year. I don't well, think I, I probably I, wasn't listening. And I also not. think I was like, uh, e-check-in by the state is probably super difficult. By the log That's in. I super think, easy. Honestly, it is so easy, yes. I'm going to, again, ring TPWD's praises, but I have bought licenses in Louisiana, Colorado, New Mexico, Montana, Wyoming. TPWD, by far, has the best online system for purchasing licenses, yeah. e-checking in, Doing all of that stuff. Especially if you've bought it in the past because, like, it remembers exactly mm-hmm. what you bought last year and it does it for Which you. Which I yes. think that's a new feature. Yeah, I think I, I don't loved it that. this year. It was, oh, yeah. like, even Kim and I, like, we had our licenses in, like, three minutes. It was mm-hmm. great, yeah. you know? I would go to bat I for... didn't even have to put on pants. <laughs> <laughs> I literally woke up and was like, Chee, wow, okay. Land, I, I would Land go... Put on pants. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, that you guys already heard that story. Uh, I would go to bat for TPWD 
as a wildlife agency, Texas Parks and Wildlife Department as a wildlife agency versus any other state. Yeah, Maybe if you job. didn't wear pants, it would have worked out better for you. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. They definitely would have got you out there sooner. Mm-hmm. They would have. I would have been removed from the academy sooner. Probably wouldn't have had your license still. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, you know what? <laughs> you would have wasted less time had you gone in with, with no pants. So um, overall, we had eight people total at the event, including us, three of us. Mm-hmm. There were five people that came out. Which is a good number of dove hunters. Yeah, we we had a bruise. great time. We yeah. went to Ma- Mama Margie's after. Which it blows my mind that so many people have lived in San Antonio and none of you had been to Mama Margie's. Never. Never. Yeah. I think most of the group had never been to Mama I know. Margie's. Greg's dad is the one person who had ever been. We I, went- I would give it, I mean, it doesn't blow my mind because they're definitely way better Mexican restaurants For out sure. there. For sure. But it's definitely on par with like Taco Palenque and like I Las Palapas. I think it's better Palapas. than Palenque. I, I would say it's on par with Las Palapas. I think it's that's because Palenque is so, so greasy. I, I'd, I'd go to Mama Margie's again. Like I yeah, would too. In a heartbeat. Sure. I would too. It's good. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I'm putting a little teaser out there maybe for our next event mm-hmm. that I would be interested in doing. Yeah. And maybe we can get some listener response. I don't know if I've talked to you about this. I think I talked to Zach about this. You put it in the group, but... Uh yeah, I think I put it in the group, but an Ironfly event. Oh great, no, yeah. yeah, you did put it in. The I group. think we schedule an Ironfly event at either a brewery or a distillery. But last time you were talking about a fly tying event, I was dismissed out of it and not ran by. <laughs> at the hunting event, when you turned to Zach and was like, "Zach, we should do a fly tying event," and I was like, "Oh yeah, because I'm not over here." Oh yeah, well you don't tie flies. We we already went over this. The thing yeah. is, like he wouldn't come to me for a fletching arrows thing. I wouldn't come to you. Like I know my audience, but I'm the event, <laughs> I'm friends with. I'm the event coordinator. Yeah, and I know. So I'm gonna ref, I'm gonna talk to Zach about an event, and I'm gonna dump the workload on you. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh, um, but yeah, maybe we get some uh, listener response because I don't think that you know the possible events we could do. River cleanup, come fish with us event, but even a come fish with us event is hard because if we get a decent amount of people spreading out over a large area. We are planning a come fish with us, but it probably won't be spring. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, I'm not doing a come fish with us event in the middle of hunting season. I'm sorry. No, we'll <laughs> no, do spring. No. Like, if I'll, I'm planning this, it's not going to be no, during my season. It'll, it'll probably be like when like the white bass are running yeah. or when things start to warm up, maybe like the, with the spawn. Or, or but the, um, we're part of a pretty robust fly tying crew yeah. back from the fly tying days pre-COVID. Fly tying. And I think we could get a pretty good iron fly event. And we could even maybe do it out at Blanco. Real ill. Real ale, it's halfway between Austin and San Antonio, so we could get the Austin and San Antonio. I think crowd. you need to have categories with it, like best well, yeah, fly, yeah, most, most creative, yeah. most creative, uh, least likely to catch a fish, least likely to catch a fish. Oh, I'm gonna entry that one, and I'm gonna win it. <laughs> He's gonna put a hook up there. <laughs> I mean, that's about all. I can do. <laughs> and then I think like we do best overall category, and then they get like a, a, trophy, a trophy that's like a cup. And just we just fill it with beer, we put beer and the winner, you know, partakes in their beverage. Or maybe we can maybe the trophy can be like a pint glass that has like honey hole, whatever on it, and they can fill that up. With beer. Yeah. Or are we getting the beer from? Real ale. Real ale. We're doing it there. And then ideally, ideally, obviously, this isn't set in stone. Yeah, we're just we're just talking out loud. <laughs> we're planning our events on our podcast because <laughs> our listeners are definitely interested they in what want, we have going on. Exactly. They <laughs> they want to know how the sausage gets made. Yeah. Cliff. Yeah, if you want to know how we make the sausage, <laughs> this is how we do it. Normally, it's pre-podcast, but this week it's... With our ideas, and Cliff is like, you got to think about that. And we're like, well, do we? 
And then Cliff's like, yo, you didn't consult me. You consulted Zach. And there's like this whole back and forth. It's just a thing we go through every time. I don't get upset when you go to Zach about the uh, social media pages and stuff. That's his domain. Events is mine. <laughs> Stop trying to edge me out here, Landon. I'm not trying to edge you out. I'm not trying to edge you out. Maybe, okay, do you want to plan, do you want to put on a arrow fletching competition? That'd be yes. difficult to do. That, that would be, be, it'd be very difficult to would, judge. I mean, like, yeah. do we need hot glue guns or? <laughs> Man, no. you have really never fletched an arrow. <laughs> no. 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 No party even wants to fletch an no. arrow. So, keep it on your radar. Maybe an Iron Fly event. Cliff will have more information soon. Yep. <laughs> Probably give give me at least a week to catch up on some stuff. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's move along. Uh, since we just finished talking about the hunt with us and the till, I kind of want to do my conservation corner. Because it kind of feeds in. Okay, our one article for this week is Cliff's Cool Conservation Corner. C4 for short. That explosion is just so much fun. Oh, mine hit today's episode that came out, uh-huh. the uh, Zach versus Cliff episode. Uh-huh. Oh, the uh, explosion happened like right after a set of ads, and I was like, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did it? Yeah. Where were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, we've gotten some comments. Good comments? About the uh, Cliff versus Zach episode that was released today. Good or bad? Next. Uh, uh, no, not good or bad. Oh, no, it was a good overall post. Someone actually shared the podcast on oh, social media, and they're like, uh, this episode was very fiery. I think you guys <laughs> will enjoy it. I haven't gone back and listened to it yet. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty solid. I went back and listened to it because there's a lot of like high notes that, that I remember from yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did the appropriate uh, things get edited out? Yes. Okay, okay. thanks, Evan. So. Well... One thing was left, but Evan talked to me about it, and he's like, I don't think people really catch that. So I was like, dude, you're okay. the editor. Do what you want. Yeah. Cool. Um, but, yeah, all right. So <laughs> close a little teaser. If we had to edit how fiery this was, then you guys sh- should definitely listen to it. All right, Cliff's Conservation Corner. Hit it again because we, we – yeah. This show is brought to you by Geico. <laughs> Save 15% or more <laughs> on your auto insurance. All right, so that's about how the thing went. <laughs> so I mentioned the, it, we did our Hunt With Us to event, and it was also the opening day of uh, early till season. And there were some till hunters out there and whatnot, and we saw a ton of black ducks flying and... The till hunter said that they had gotten a few till out there, and there was a ton of till hunters that came out of off of that lake back there or that mm-hmm. tank. Well, the whole rest of the day, every time I refreshed my social media, it was till picture after till picture after till picture after till picture of groups of guys killing full-on limits. Mm. So each person in the group killing six till and so massive amounts, like UTVs covered with till, all this boats covered in till. And I was amazed at the number of till that were shot just on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Granted, a lot of that going back seems to be North Texas and Oklahoma going up north. 
So I started looking into it, and I, I wanted to see what the till numbers were kind of doing in Texas. And the general, uh, I pulled up six articles, so I'm going to kind of give the high point overview of what's going on. The general consensus is there's been great success in the early till season, although duck numbers as a total is down. The reason why it's down is uh, most of our ducks in the central flyway that come into Texas and stuff tend to come from North Dakota. That's the prairie pothole region that feeds central flyway and Texas for the most part. Alberta, Saskatchewan, uh, Wisconsin, some of these other areas also feed, but majority comes from North Dakota. North Dakota has experienced a severe drought over the past year, and that has caused, I think they estimated about 80% or duck populations in North Dakota or breeding populations in North Dakota is down about 80%. Uh, but because there's no, they're saying because there's no water up there for them to stay, it has pushed all these ducks already southward because there's no water. Normally it flies with temperature, like if it's cold and it's snow, snow will push them down. But this year there's no water up there, so they're kind of coming down earlier, and they're saying that the till population has actually been on the migration southward for weeks now. Um, so that's kind of led into... So is the pop is the till population down, but they're just here earlier? Or you said the till population was up, but ducks overall is down. I think ducks overall is down, but till is kind of up because there's also some breeding areas in Texas. Like there's residential till mm-hmm. that stay kind of... Uh, Amarillo, Lubbock area, like the Panhandle, that's their breeding ground if they're a localized till for Texas. And I think that area is doing well. But they came down early pretty much, and North Texas has kind of been reaping the benefits of it thus far into the season. Okay. That's kind of all I got for you. Cool. FX presents Under the Banner of Heaven. This case I'm working on is a double murder. Inspired by the true crime bestseller by John Krakauer. Oh my god. And starring Academy Award nominee Andrew Garfield. The evidence points to things and to beliefs that I have only ever heard whisperings about. FX's Under the Banner of Heaven. All new Thursdays, only on Hulu. It's me, the sun-soaked tropical hotel looking for a companion who enjoys short walks to sandy beaches and exotic bird sightings. Must love a spontaneous voyage on a privately owned catamaran. My strengths include ocean and jungle views, your choice, plus the occasional ukulele serenade. My only weakness? You'll never want to leave me. Download the hotels app to find me. You're perfect somewhere. I think that's... uh... Interesting, because I have seen, and I'm not in, like, the duck hunting, you know, in the know or, like, seeing all that. It's but also, for someone who's not in the know, I have been seeing that teal opening weekend was extremely successful, and there's been a lot of birds. Uh, it's also blue wing teal, which is the predominant one that we're going to have here in Texas, I think is the most common okay. uh, duck in the nor- on the North American continent. 
Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Well, I mean, that's all we have for you guys yeah. uh, for now. What we're going to do is I'm going to transition to Alvin with one more Bad Mother Goose song. And I hope you guys enjoy this little mix-up of music. And we appreciate Alvin uh, letting on. us uh, being on and letting us use uh, his music. Man, that bass is so bad. All right, I am really happy to have Alvin Dado with us on the podcast today. Uh, Alvin, I don't think you need an introduction. I think the most interesting thing that people have sent us messages about today when we said we were recording with you today is that you were in a band, and so we'll just kick right off into it. Will you tell us about your band days? All right. Uh, it's funny because I feel like a lot of the people out there were probably – too young to even experience that. Uh, most of the people that were around back then would remember. Um, it was, uh, the band was comprised of a bunch of people that had been friends in the punk rock scene. Uh, and uh, it kind of grew out of that, the whole punk rock ethic, but it was not a punk rock band. Uh, it was a straight up 70s style funk band, you know, so think like, George Clinton, Parliament, Funkadelic, Sliding the Family Stone. But it was it was um you know like 95, 98% original stuff. And uh it was pretty cool at the time. There wasn't really anybody um or, or at least not anybody as successful who were doing what we were doing. And uh yeah, it, it was it was awesome. I mean, for me it was great because we were actually successful enough for me to quit my day job. So that created a, a, a lot more time for me to fish. So, you know, I would uh, go to a gig, you know, if we weren't on tour, we only played on the weekends. So, you know, we'd play locally, regionally uh, on weekends. And, you know, so we'd play our last gig of the week on a Saturday night in Dallas. And I would show up at the gig with all my camping and fishing gear and then convince everybody to let me skip practice the following week. And then I would just drive to New Mexico, Colorado, wherever, fish all week and then drive home and meet them wherever the gig was the following Friday. So it was a really it was a really good gig for, uh, you know, a young dude that, you know, wanted to fish wanted all to the fish. time. And, so yep. the band is Bad Mother Goose and, and the brothers Grimm. and the what? <laughs> And the Brothers Grimm. And the, brother, uh, and the Brothers Grimm. Okay. And what was, <laughs> yep. Alvin, what was your role in the band? Mm. I was uh, I was a singer, although um, I was probably more of an entertainer, uh, less of a singer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was uh, I was known for, for my wild stage antics, not so much for my soothing uh, tones. <laughs> uh, I was, I was, you know, it was, it was sort of a, a fusion of uh, funk and rap and hip hop and even a little bit of rock thrown in there. So, I mean, think like, you know, early generation 
chili peppers or fishbone or something like that. So you had to have like the crazy guy jumping around on stage. <laughs> and that was me. <laughs> what? So you said that most people won't remember what year was your, was the prime year for your band? Um, I would say like, uh, well, 1991, early nineties. That was, that was, uh, the year that we actually made our record and we went on tour. We did a series of dates in, uh, the Pacific Northwest, you know, like playing with Primus. Uh, we had a, a bunch of gigs where our opening band was Nirvana, you know. So, oh, wow. uh, your opening course, band was your Nirvana? opening band was Nirvana. <laughs> we did a bunch of gigs where Nirvana was our opening band up in like uh, the, the Seattle various. area. So, did you ever yeah. meet Kurt? Yeah, we. Well, I mean, we're. It was a. It was a dinky little club that we were playing in. Although I have to admit, I, I didn't really have any strong memories of those guys at all I, I do i do remember uh my my fondest uh uh nirvana and and there's um there's some some gig flyers out there on the internet somewhere somebody every once in a while somebody will send me one you know like bad mother goose nirvana and then maybe some other band at the beginning um but my, my favorite uh nirvana memory from those days was uh one year we were playing at south by southwest and our guitar player, Tim Kerr, he was like this punk rock cult hero. So all the Seattle grunge guys, guitar players were, were huge fans of this guy that was Bad Mother Goose's guitar player. And uh, shout out to Tim. He, he's, he's a pretty amazing artist is what he does now. But at the time, he was like this proto grunge guitar player, even though he was in this funk band. He'd have been in some other punk rock bands in Austin. And... Um, we were not going to play South by Southwest. I think it was maybe the second or third year they had it. And um, whenever South by Southwest started and at the time they said, you know, it's a, it's an event for undiscovered bands to get some exposure. And we're like, we already got a record deal. You know, we don't, we don't need to play it. We're just going to come and go to the shows and see our friends play. But they were like, no, 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 you guys have to play. You know, you're one of the more popular bands in Austin right now. So, they they're like we'll let you play at any venue and you can pick the bands that are going to play with you so we're like oh cool deal so we'll do it so we picked our two buddies from seattle um cat butt and nirvana <laughs> and uh cat butt was a, a, another band uh, that was fronted by an austinite and and they were actually pretty big i think they were on sub pop and had a couple of records out at the time and uh nirvana was going to come down with them and uh but I don't know, a couple of weeks before South by Southwest, uh, Tim, our guitar player, gets a phone call from Kurt Cobain. And he's like, he's like, dude, I'm sorry, but Nirvana's not going to be able to make it to South by Southwest because Cat Butt broke up. They're not going on tour and we don't have enough money to get to Austin. So <laughs> maybe we'll see. The, yeah. The fact the next that week, you're kind of Responsible for Nirvana's success is mind blowing to me. I guess I don't know, but the, but the very next year was when Smells Like Teen Spirit came out, and I, and I remember hearing it on the radio. I had a Memorex tape that my ex girlfriend, who was in another sub pop band, sent me, and I'd listened to it, and I was like, "This is really good." And then I get in a buddy's car, and I hear Smells Like Teen Spirit on the radio, and I'm like, "Where'd you get a copy of this?" And he's like, "Dude, I don't have a copy of this. This is like on the radio." And I was like, no way. <laughs> By that time, I had gotten out of the music business and was off doing something totally different, you know. But yeah, so that was our 
early nineties was our, uh, the, the height of our popularity. And, and as soon as we got a big record deal and went on tour and had records in or CDs in, uh, tower records in, in San Francisco, um, we decided to break up and do something different. <laughs> yeah. Like immediately. <laughs> well, are there any, uh, YouTube videos up there uh, of your band playing uh, anything out there we can go on and check out your onstage antics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lots <laughs> of stuff on YouTube. I know there's uh, one of those last, or you know, one of our last uh, South by Southwest performances um, uh, is is I've seen a couple of songs from that, and I'm like, man. I had I had some uh, I had a pretty foul mouth back in those days. <laughs> but, but you know they say people who use profanity are, are usually pretty honest. And if you listen to what I was saying, I, I was I was pretty I was pretty honest and and pretty sincere about the message I was trying to deliver. It was just not made for TV. So Alvin, we always ask uh, two questions to all of our guests, and the first one we'll start off with: How did you get into fly fishing? Uh, I've, I've told this one a million times. Um, well, I was way into fishing when I was a kid and I had a fishing book that I, that I found at the library at my elementary school. It was this little red book and had one chapter on fly fishing. And I remember reading that chapter and I was like, man, I got to I got to do this. I was 11 and I, I, I'm pretty sure I stole the book brought it home and I wanted because I really wanted to get into this fly fish and stuff. So somehow or another, my parents, I told them for my 12th birthday, I wanted a fly rod. Somehow or another, my parents found me a fly rod, um, seven weight, yellow fiberglass eagle claw um, with the Martin reel and a level line. And uh, you can still buy that rod to this day. Do you uh, still have your your original rod? No, no, no. That one, that it, it, uh, it, it died an untimely death. I was riding my bike back from a day of fishing and, uh, ended up going through the spokes in my bike. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a sad day. <laughs> so, uh, you were 11 and found a book and then just when, when they got you that rod, did you just, were you just infatuated with it or? Did you like, uh, I don't really know this is for me and then pick it up oh, again no, later? Man, I, was, I was, I was in it. I was in it, uh, you know, from the start. I mean, I, uh, um, I mean, I was tying flies. I mean, I, I, I had like a big collection of, of model building gear, you know, so I had balsa wood, I had all kind of paints and, and so, uh, yeah, I was, I was, I wish I still had some of them. I mean, I remember like this one, frog that I carved out of balsa wood and it had like rubber legs and, and a, a body that was made out of a green piece of a, a, a green balloon that I glued onto it with contact cement and painted it. I mean, it was, it was a, well, for a 12 year old, it, it was a work of art. Um, yeah. And I, I just, I was at it um, pretty much ever since then, you know, I mean, I, I put it down occasionally, you know, like uh, when I discovered, you know, the, that I, I liked girls, I, I might've put it down for a little bit. You know, but really, I mean, not, not, not for very long. I mean, I've basically been at it ever since then. Um, so our, our second question we always ask is what is your most memorable fish? 
mm. that you've caught? Mm. That's tough. I mean, the most memorable recent one uh, that, you know, just because it was it was recent, although it's been more than a year, um, was the first big GT that I caught in uh, in the Seychelles in uh, 2020. So that was uh, January of 2020. So, you know, well over a year now, uh, just because that was uh, I had seen that original Yeti Cosmo video about the Seychelles. And I, I just couldn't imagine. I mean, this was like the most amazing place on earth. And I, I, I never imagined in a million years that I would actually get to go. And if you, if you watch that video, it's a, a lot of it has to do with this young guide, Alex. He's a, he's a local guy, Seychellois. And he, you know, works his way up from like being a bartender at the lodge to now he is a guide. And it was the the so the the movie, which is amazing, is one of the best Yeti films ever, I think. Yeah. But it was mostly about Alex and and kind of his story. And um, I got there and I fished with Alex. I mean, like the first day I was there, I'm like, no way. And then I caught this this huge GT. So that's probably uh, going to be for a while the most memorable. But I mean, you know, I still remember the first time I caught a speckled trout in the salt uh, when I was 12 fishing with my dad and my uncles, you know, I mean, I can still remember that vividly, you know, so uh, lots of memories, but that's the, my, my current fave. Hey Alvin, how long did it take you to get to the Seychelles? We, we left here like a Monday afternoon, left Austin Monday afternoon and we were fishing Friday morning. So it was, it was brutal. I was uh, expecting now, you to say like 48 hours. Right. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a long time. I did not expect Friday to come out of your mouth. <laughs> I mean, so, supposedly you can get there like maybe a day sooner if you fly through Paris. We, we went through Abu Dhabi um, right when uh, right after that uh, that airliner had been shot down in Iran. So we like flew right through that whole area. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like uh, you fly from Austin to JFK and, you know, then you get on a plane in JFK that afternoon and you fly to Abu Dhabi, um, which is, you know, like the overnight flight. You get to Abu Dhabi and we got a hotel in Abu Dhabi. Where we were only in it for like maybe four hours. And then from Abu Dhabi, you fly to um, Mahe, which is a, the capital of the Seychelles. And then you have to spend the night there. The next morning you get on a little puddle jumper that takes you to uh, Astove Island. No, excuse me, to Alphonse Island. And then you go from Alphonse Island on another puddle jumper to Astove. I may be getting Astove and Alphonse flipped, over, flipped around. But then the last leg of the trip, you get on a boat <laughs> and they're like, they're like, they're like, okay, the boat ride could be anywhere from 45 minutes to over two hours, just depending on the weather. <laughs> you, know, you, you hop in, you, they, they, there's no ramp or dock or anything. You know, they pull this big twin engine dive boat up on the beach and you, you get in the boat on the beach, but they basically shove the boat off because within like 20 feet it goes from like you're standing in knee deep water to like 1500 feet deep so it's, it's 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty intense. Oh, wow. and, and that's what they said. You know, it's like there's super deep ocean and, and nothing to break the wave. So if it's if it's if it's blowing, it's rough. You know, it's like a two hour trip or yeah. a 45 minute trip. So, yeah, it was it was a. Uh, it was not something I would want to do on a regular basis, the, the travel part of it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask you some of the questions we got in. Um, the first one is, if you could go back and tell yourself anything about fishing, guiding, and life in general, and then he clarified an example of one of each, life, fishing, and guiding. <laughs> Probably the uh, same answer for all three. Um, I would... Uh, I would tell myself uh, to not quit. I mean, I think that uh, part of the reason, although, I mean, I guess that's what I've done, but I mean, part of the reason I've been successful is I've just been kind of just grinding at grinding at it year after year. I mean, when I really, when I first started, I did not imagine that being a fly fishing guide was going to be my career, um, which is kind of funny but uh, I just kind of fell into it. So maybe I would have gone back and told myself like, you know, maybe uh, 10 years earlier, like, yo, dude, you know, you can actually do this as a job. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I guess uh, uh, I never really like, I always, as far as life goes, I'm always like telling other people uh, this, you know, like don't, pay attention to what other people are saying or what, uh, don't worry about what other people think about you or what you're doing, you know, but I never really had that much of a problem with it. I mean, I was always kind of the weird kid anyway, and I I just assumed that that was a natural thing. So, um, yeah, as far as, and that might be, that might be like a social media thing that we're running into now more than you did probably when you started. I think that is, that is way more apparent, I think, on social media for sure. Like how everybody has an opinion. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think, I think though, I think it's 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 different, but it's not completely different. I mean, yeah. you know, now um, you you do you are able to reach out and expose yourself to a lot more people and be exposed to a lot more mm-hmm. people, you know. But before you had that you didn't have the opportunity to reach out to some people that maybe could have had a really positive effect on your life. Like if you were surrounded by a bunch of jerks or a bunch of losers who were trying to bring you down uh, back in the day, there was probably not much way to escape that unless you were to physically extract yourself from the situation. Now, I think with social media, the internet in general, I mean, social media, the, the, the building blocks that we use, but it's really the internet. And I think that that has been overwhelmingly positive because it allows people to reach out to a much larger audience, be exposed to a lot more than they would have been exposed to before. So both positive and negative. But I I think overwhelmingly, I'm going to say it's positive, you know, because I mean, everything I know, I'll take that back. Everything I've learned in the last 10 years, I've learned on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Now, fishing stuff, I mean, you know, there's there's definitely things you can't learn on the internet. You got to put the time in. uh, But the internet is is an unbelievable resource. And I think that uh, it's it's definitely overwhelmingly a a positive. Mm -hmm. So, 
what has when Bill do this podcast if it wasn't for the I internet. know yeah really another question kind of similar to the last but a little different uh, what is your biggest struggle as a guide through the years what has been your biggest struggle as a guide uh initially it's just like making it happen you know like getting getting those dates booked on the calendar you know I mean it is a grind it's it, you do have to be especially when you first start out if you're not working for a guide service which you know I, I was not. Um, I have at times um, when I when I was fishing in Colorado, but I mean the hardest thing is just it's it's a business, you know. So it's like starting any other business. You got to get clients, you got to promote yourself, you got to do the work, and you got to get those clients to come back. Tell other people that you have a good business, you know, you have a good service. They should come, you know. So it's it's just like anything else. I mean, it's it's just it's just like life. Um, Except maybe the the part that makes it harder is there there was not a, a set structure. You know, like if I'd have gotten a business degree or, you know, become a doctor or whatever, there's like a, you know, you do this, then you do this, and then you do this. With this guiding thing, you kind of have to make it up, you know, all on your own, which is both good, you know, if that's something, if you're if you're a creative person, if you don't mind taking chances, if you don't mind living on the edge, sometimes it is great. You can make you can make the magic happen, but uh, it can be a little scary because there there is no playbook. You got to make it up on your own. Yeah. So that's probably the hardest part. What's Alvin? What's the story behind the uh, Austin Angler? Because if someone for me, I was never around when the Austin Angler was around, but. It's something I constantly hear about as this mystical, magical place. And you were part of that mystical, magical place. Will you tell us the story of the Austin Angler? Man, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the, the quick synopsis. I mean, in reality, somebody needs to make a video about the Austin Angler. Yeti, somebody, I mean, you know, if I had more time and more skill, I would probably do it. But the thing was that the Austin Angler was started um, – in the 80s by just uh you know some some crazy fly fishermen some guys that were really into it and uh it was open until july of 1994 i believe so 23 years mm -hmm. was the only place uh you know for a long time where you could get all your fly fishing stuff and um, I think the thing that maybe put it on the map was in 1987, they did that first series of they don't take American Express commercials, you know, Visa commercials. And they did one on the Austin Angler and they played it during the Super Bowl that year. Oh, wow. So that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty crazy. And the guys that opened it, I mean, they opened it in downtown Austin because back then it was a pretty low rent area, you know, and it was close. You could walk to the lake. And uh, it's just been like um, so many people have gone through the Austin Angler. I mean, multiple owners. One, one of the owners was um, a guy named Jim Adams, who was married to Mina Hemingway, Ernest Hemingway's granddaughter. You know, people used to come in every year. People would come in because back in the old days when you had your license, it was signed by the owner of the business that sold you the license and her name was actually Edina. She went by Mina. But the licenses all said E. Hemingway. And people oh would come in gosh. every year. <laughs> Hemingway fishing license. Yeah, yeah. Well, you especially know, just, with Hemingway you know, being such a big fly fisher too. Like that's that's crazy. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so that guy, Jim, he's been in the fly fishing business ever since then. Adams and Sons, he, he makes some really amazing 
fixtures for fly shops. Um, you know, a lot of other kind of like, you know, my contemporaries, like like JT Van Zant worked at the Angler with me, Joey Lynn, um, who is not as famous, but he is one of the first people who was actually outfitting trips to Argentina. Like when the uh, Piera Lodge first opened, the Dorado Lodge in Northern Argentina, Joey took like one of the first groups of people from Austin down to fish for Dorado, you know, and this is before 1994. So early nineties, um, um, Dave Mangum, who is, you know, like maybe one of the best, I don't know, probably the best tarpon guy in the world. I didn't know he Dave was, was part of the angler. angler. I, I definitely well, know who Dave he is, but he didn't, Dave didn't work at the angler, but he was like, he just hung out there all the time, you know, like, <laughs> Me and Dave, JT, Joey, we just fished and partied and, and I mean, you know, just, but, but like I said, it was one of those kind of places, just like so many people have, have gone through there. And, and I would say the biggest thing about the Austin Angler is Larry Sunderland, the guy who started off, like, I think he was like, came to work on some windows at the shop. He was, he's a woodworker and he ended up like, you know, he was a fly fisherman. He ended up working there, becoming the manager, becoming the owner. And, and he, he ran the place until it, it closed down. But he was the guy who really, really encouraged a bunch of us to, to really go for it. You know, like, you know, he would, you know, like I came in one time and I was saving my money to buy a new rod. And I was showing my girlfriend at the time, like, oh, I'm going to get this rod here, you know. It's like a Sage DS or something. And he's looking at it and he goes, dude, you're way too good. Don't buy that cheap ass rod. He goes, I got a, I got a rod coming for you at, that I'm going to put your name on it. And I was like, okay, whatever. And we're standing there and the UPS man walks in. He's got one package. It's a rod tube. He hands it to Larry. Larry opens it up, hands it to me. And he goes, there's your rod, dude. And I'm like, uh, I can't afford this. It was a five weight Winston three piece that was at the time, like the most expensive rods you could buy, like 525 bucks or something. I was like, dude, I do not have that kind of money. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, man, just take it. Give me what you got and just pay me when you can. And, and you know, this was before I worked there, but he was that way with, with all of us, you know, like JT and I met because of Larry. JT broke his leg. I'm short. I'll make a long story short. JT broke his leg in a BMX accident, got into fly fishing, was out in the park casting, you know, sitting on a stool. He got it all together. He was ready to go fishing. And Larry's like, oh, you need to find this. You need to go look, look up this dude, Alvin. You just go fishing with Alvin. So JT comes up. I was working at Whole Earth at the time. JT walks in. He goes, hey, you're Alvin. Larry said we should go fishing. And it was like, boom. And it was on, you know. So, <laughs> so not so yeah, only. I mean, not only are you responsible for Nirvana's success, you're also responsible for JT's success. Is what I'm here. Uh, uh, I'm going to say that was that was Larry's uh, Larry's doing. That was Larry's. Uh, Larry. Although although, and I have I have had David Mangum verify this. The first time he ever caught a redfish on a fly rod was when I was pulling him around on the Texas coast, and I thought that that was the case, but he recently verified it. He's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so at the time I said, all right, Dave, I'm going to go ahead and take credit for you and JT's success. And neither one of them denied it, but uh, those guys are, yeah. 
what no. what was the reason for the downfall? Why did it ha- why did it close? Well, it was um it was a weird time. So it was uh excuse me, I said close in ninety four. It closed in oh four, two thousand four. Okay. Because September eleventh happened and uh that was a uh you know our business took a huge hit because of that because I mean Austin was not a fly fishing destination and we had all these clients who just basically traveled the world fly fishing. And and so that business really took a hit. So that was tough. And then, um, you know, Austin, like I said, when they first opened the shop, Austin, downtown Austin was pretty low rent, but you know, by Oh four, it wasn't, it was not low rent. I mean, this was during the dot, the, you know, the dot com bubble. Um, and then um, the internet, the internet happened, eBay and the internet. So people were, you know, uh, at that time, I can't remember what the percentage was, but a, a ton of mom and pop fly shops all around the country went out of business and they were dumping stuff on the Internet, you know, selling stuff on eBay. Like I'd have a client come in, he cast like four or five rods and then, you know, I get a call a couple of days later. He's like, hey, dude, I was going to buy that rod from you, but I found it on the Internet for this price. You know, can you match it? I'm like, no, dude, that's like less than what we paid for it. You know, <laughs> so. So that was that was probably the nail in the coffin. And, okay. and then the fact that um, um, Larry uh, was probably the first owner of the Austin Angler who wasn't independently wealthy. So he needed the business to make money. I think some of the previous owners uh, probably could have kept it going for a while, you know, just pulling money out of their bank accounts. But but, you know, Larry, Larry was Larry was a working man and he needed that shop to make yeah, money. And so for yeah, sure. Just, just, Although it was a sad occasion, I mean, we had a going out of sale um, or going out of business kind of party at the end. And, um, you know, there are people crying, <laughs> but there, there were two employees, Ben Wallace, myself and Larry uh, there. And we were like partying because we knew like, all right. We're about to be unemployed and we're about to go fishing for a long time. <laughs> and one thing I got to say about Larry, too, um, when we went out of business, you know, part of the reason was, like I said, all these other guys going out of business and just dumping stuff on the Internet. Larry actually wrote a letter to all of his vendors and said, hey, here's the deal. I'm going out of business. I'm going to close this place down but I'm not going to dump all my gear on the internet and kill everybody else around me. If you guys will take any current merchandise back, credit my account, I would prefer to do that. And um, most of them did. Most of them did. So he was, yeah, he was a good guy to the end. It was awesome. But yeah, we, um, me and Ben loaded up and we went fishing, drove all over the Western U S forever. When we got back, Larry had finally kind of, shut everything down and he got a PO box and he's like, um, they'll only pick up my mail at the PO box for like three months or something. And I'm going to be gone longer than that. He's like, I'll make you a deal. I'll buy you something cool. If you'll go and pull my money, pull my, pull my mail out of the PO box. Cause I'm going fishing for a long time. So he, he took off for a long time as well. <laughs> and, um, had not, had that not happened, you know, I wouldn't have started guiding full time. I mean, I was guiding, at the shop, you know, and I was working like seven days a week because I was the shop manager, the buyer, 
um, you know, had like all this stuff that I was responsible for, but I started guiding while I was working there. And I was like, if I had a day off, I was like, I'm going to work because I wanted to guide. So Larry and I had a deal. Like sometimes I was in the shop three or four days a week and then I would guide the rest of the week. And then, you know, then I'd be when busy times, I'd be in the shop five days a week and only guide two days a Mm -hmm. week. But when the shop shut down, I was like, oh yeah, it's guiding seven days a week. (laughs) (laughs) So Alvin, what's the story? Um, I don't remember what fish it was, but you had a client catch a fish that, uh, nobody recognized and got Texas parks and wildlife involved. And it ended up being kind of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I'm, I'm going to screw his name up, but I think it was, um, Robert Towns. Uh, this, this guy was actually a, a pretty legit fisherman. He had guided in Alaska, New Zealand, and he was a, um, a lawyer in the Chicago area. And he actually wrote, I think the first Muskie on the Fly book. So Muskie on the Fly, look that book up, the first one from way back. If you can find that guy, that's who it was. But anyway, it was a uh, winter time and we we're fishing down kind of low on the Colorado, um, throwing uh, crawfish patterns on uh, an eight weight with a sink tip. And we're going through this pretty quick riffle and he gets his hit, you know, and it was like ferocious. And he's like, dude, I got a muskie. And I'm like, he's like, oh, wait, no, 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 no. I'm in, I'm in Texas. There ain't no muskie. And we land this thing and we get it out. And we we weigh it and measure it. I can't remember um, how long it was, but it was like a, it was like a nine pound fish. And we took a bunch of pictures and and we let it go. And I remember as it was swimming away, I said to him, I was like, dude, whatever that fish was, either we should have killed it immediately or we probably shouldn't have even taken it out of the water. <laughs> and it was the second, it was a, it was a blue sucker and um, they are, they're considered threatened in Texas. You can't harvest them, although it, it's okay to take them out of the water. Um, and, you know, sent some pictures around and sure enough, Texas Parks and Wildlife was like, oh my God, it's a blue sucker. And ended up leading to like a whole long chain of events. They've now done multiple um, surveys on the blue sucker. It's a, it's a sucker, but it's a really it's a really good looking fish, really strong fish, and they eat crawfish. You know, so it's, they're not like a you know bottom sucker feeder. I guess crawfish live on the bottom. But um, and I've had one other client catch one. But they're kind of like an indicator species. Like they have to have good water quality there. Um, they have to be like big, you know, fast moving rivers. And they used to be a really, really important food fish, like back during the pioneer days. Like they used to catch them in the Mississippi River up to like 40 pounds. Um, so yeah, yeah, the blue sucker. Uh, and, you know, there's been some times where um, Colorado LCRA, Lower Colorado River Authority has actually released water down the river in spite of drought conditions because they're trying to protect the blue sucker spawn. And uh, okay, I'm not going to say that happened just because um, that fish was caught, but uh, well, it definitely has. Let's Alvin, let's just add it to the list of things you're responsible for. <laughs> you're responsible yeah, yeah, yeah. for Nirvana's success. <laughs> You're responsible for you JT's know JT it. and Dave Mangum fishing. You're responsible for the, the blue sucker, the blue thriving. sucker <laughs> thriving in the Colorado River. Um, now, now, 
Now, though, there's some people who were who would be upset because the, the blue sucker got some water one year when there wasn't a lot of water to go around. So I, I don't want to take credit. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, that's that's a cool story. Uh, do they know how many are in the Colorado? Have they done any like? Because I know I'm, I'm no, I know they're shocking. Like they're we talked to a guy a couple weeks ago about how you know the whole shocking boat and how they do the studies on that, and uh, uh, it seemed like it kind of was a surprise that it was there. Had they not seen any in that river before? Um, I, I don't know. I I, I know that. Um, I know that they they knew they were there. I mean, but uh, like when we sent the pictures around, they were like, I mean, we never heard of anybody actually catching one. Okay. <laughs> and then, like I said, I had somebody, a, a second one caught after that. Um, yeah, I, I think they knew they were there, but I don't know what kind of numbers they thought they were in. And, and since then, we've been able to identify them. And at certain times of year, you know, I can go like, Oh, you want to go see some blue suckers? we go over here and okay. over there. So, so, the, so evidently the population is, is doing pretty good in, in the Colorado river. Um, you know, because um, the Colorado between Austin and the coast is free flowing for 300 miles. There's no more dams below that. So that's a pretty good stretch of, of free flowing water. And, you know, there's usually, I mean, even during the droughts, we've got flow in the Colorado because of the irrigation releases during the summer and everything. So it's, I think they, I think they got a pretty healthy population of them down there. Okay. What, uh, and I don't know if you want to talk about this, but I'm going to ask you about it. I, and it's, it's a rumor I heard or had a conversation with somebody. Um, have you shot another person? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't, I don't mind talking about it because uh, the first podcast that JT did, uh, the Yeti Drifting podcast. That's maybe what it was. Maybe someone I knew listened to that yeah. podcast and and talked to me about it or something. Yeah. Um, so I was sort of JT's guinea pig when he first started doing the podcast because, you know, he knew me. He, he knew all the questions to ask me, and then he knew the answers to all the questions. So <laughs> I was pretty easy to do. And so he's like, dude, I'm going to ask you about that time you shot the burglar. But, yeah, I was uh, – the, 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 guy, the guy lived, um, and it was, a, it was a shotgun. It wasn't like I shot him with a handgun or a rifle or something. And I was young, and fortunately, you know – it was, it ended up being, it was a bad deal. You know, somebody, it was somebody, a friend of the family who knew we had a, a, a vacant house that a rent house that we had some stuff stored in and they decided to go steal some of the stuff because they were drug addicts. And my mom saw the house had been broken into and my, you know, this was back before cell phones. She's like, I got to go get your dad, but he's, you know, my dad had like multiple, job sites that he was on so she had to find him first and then come back and she said well we'll just go over there with some guns and if if they show back up you know shoot him in the leg or something (laughs) Uh, yeah long story short i shot the back window out of his uh pickup truck and grazed his arm and you know uh he left the truck and i'm really glad that that was all that happened because you know i mean like you know, if you kill well, somebody, you said you were a kid. How how old were you? Seventeen or eighteen. Okay. Or yeah, yeah. But but I mean, and you know, this was in Houston. So when the cops showed up, and my my parents showed up, and my dad was talking to the cops, and he was trying to pretend like he had done it. I mean, it was a it was a pretty clear cut case, especially here in Texas. I mean, they had 
robbed us and they were actually coming back to to take more of our stuff oh man they were they were in a truck on our property the, the the house was like in the back corner of an acre lot so it wasn't like they were accidentally there and the guy's like backing up like he lived there it was a pretty you know like yeah okay he he should have been doing what he was doing definitely didn't deserve to get killed glad he didn't but you know when the cops showed up they were like questioning because he left his truck there and, and ran on foot and the cops were like asking my dad like well you know but then finally they realized like oh you didn't shoot him the kids shot him so they started asking me what happened and i told them and you know the finally the cops go damn son that's that's good shooting <laughs> and you didn't drop them you know and i was like no i'm glad i didn't drop them you know but you know this is houston police department but yeah yeah but i i hadn't shot anybody since then okay <laughs> <laughs> that was a long time ago. Alvin, have you? Yeah, I told you I'll talk about anything. Not, not, nothing's off limits. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, yeah. I sent you that email. I just wanted to make sure. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so have you? If it's if it's true, I'll admit to doing it. <laughs> <laughs> have you been doing any hunting lately? Man, I've been trying. So, uh, although I have not gotten out um, since my last, you know, caught on film, really poor shot at a deer. Um, but we're, uh, Brody and I are talking about trying to get out and shoot some, uh, some turkeys next spring. Um, I get all kinds of offers to go and hunt, but it's just like the idea. And, and I hunted as a kid, my, my dad and my uncles and my cousins were, were all hunters and fishermen. My dad grew up backwoods, Mississippi. So they, you know, if, if they could kill it, then they would eat it. Um, and so, um that's kind of like part of my heritage but it's just i don't have time i mean it's like I, I would love to like get out and do it but it's just like okay well what 10 things am i not gonna do next month so i can go hunting uh but i'm, I'm gonna make it happen uh, you know definitely uh definitely uh in the future i'm i'm sort of trying to like uh slow down a little bit and and you know let other people do a few things for me here and there and you know uh, that's one of the things I'm trying to like, um, uh, make more, um, more upfront. Mm -hmm. Uh, what are some of the projects you're currently working on? Uh, man, I'm just, uh, you know, you, you see the YouTube videos mm -hmm. I've, yeah. been doing, I've been, I've been doing those. That's kind of my new, uh, my new hobby. So I've been, been both doing the, like the fly fishing stuff, but I, actually, I have two YouTube, three YouTube channels now. You have three YouTube well, I have an all water guides YouTube channel as well. So that's all stuff that I've made. Then there's my main fly fishing channel. And then I got this other channel where I'm just like putting anything and everything out there, you know, like talking about, you know, mindfulness and meditation, doing like, here's my favorite Yeti mug, like, you know, whatever. Okay. <laughs> but my main, my main channel that most people see, the Alvin Dito fly fishing, I'm pretty much just keeping that like fly fishing stuff, fly fishing tutorials. I've been, been, uh, spending a lot of time um, with the other guides that work for all water guides mm -hmm. and, and going and fishing with those guys and, and making, you know, like videos of them fishing or videos of their boats and just kind of, you know, trying to uh, use some of the, the skills and some of the juice that I've acquired over all my years of, of doing this stuff, both guiding, 
running a business, the social media stuff. I'm just trying to like use that to help these other guys out. You know, there's, there's some really great young guides out there. Yeah, I know. I know Cassio specifically. We had Cassio on, oh gosh. Three months ago now. Cassio's a great dude. Probably like three months ago. I think it was like right after. It was mid-June, I think. You know, he had just left his last job and. You know, I think you had hired him on, and uh, we're we're happy Cassio is is part of All Water Guides because he's such a great awesome. he's such a great dude. Yeah, he is. He is awesome, man. He, uh, yeah, yeah. I did a I did a, a couple of videos with him recently mm-hmm. out fishing. I did a video of him uh, and his and his boat. You know, kind of talking about his rig. Um, yeah, so I've been I've been doing stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Cassio, we got a couple other young guys, Johnny Guerra. Um, you know, Bonner, Bonner's been around for a while, but he's kind of, I mean, he's, he's like, you know, he's grinding it out, man. He's, he's out there all the time now. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad to not be guiding seven days a week. Um, <laughs> Cause the, the, the days that I'm guiding are, are a lot more fun <laughs> when I'm not just like completely just beat up from, yeah. I mean, it used to be, it used to be a, um, um, badge of courage you know like i was proud of the fact that i hadn't had a day off in 67 days <laughs> oh man yeah oh dude i mean that that's not even like uh yeah that's that's probably not even a record 67 days i, I don't i don't know how many days would <laughs> in a row i do remember doing um 56 trips in like uh let a lot less than 60 days, like, like 56 trips in like 54 days or so, or 52 yeah. days, something mm. once, you know, cause you like so, yeah, yeah. and stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. But you know, I mean, that, that was fun. And you know, if you're young, you got nothing else to do. Might as well just wear yourself out. Yeah. Have yeah. A good time. So how many days a week are you, are you guiding now? Uh, you know, it varies yeah. from season to season. Like I'll be out quite a bit, you know, almost every day. Um, this fall down at the coast, just because that's kind of the prime time. Yeah. But uh, you know, I'm probably keeping it to you know five days a week. Okay. You know, just regular job. Yeah. Um, lately, um, lately, I have you know three days a week, <laughs> two or three days a week. But you know, I got all this other stuff going on. Where, yeah. You know, we were we were going to do the film fest. We we're you know going to do the trash bash. All this. So I got like other all this all these other uh, guide service owner things that I have to do, which cut into my, my guiding. And, yeah. you know, and the reality of it is, is uh, the, the business comes first. Um, and me being a guide uh, every day I'm on the water, I'm not able to do the other stuff right. for Casio and those other guys. So, you know, <laughs> it's a trade off. I mean, yeah. I get paid for the days I work, but the days I work, I'm not working for the business. Right. Yeah. Will you tell us about the trash bash? Because it's yes. kind of it's a big deal now. It is, it is, and I mean it's, it's gone from like a like a just a one day event to kind of like a you know like a like a movement almost. I mean, um, so the trash bash started. Uh, I don't know what year it was, twenty eighteen or something. But anyway, it was my birthday, and I decided I was going to go out on my birthday and fill my boat up with trash on the Colorado River. I was like, okay, you know, people like to do give back for their birthday, you know, charity causes, whatever. So mine was going to be, I'm going to fill the boat up with trash on my birthday. And of course, film it, <laughs> take some pictures. Yeah. Uh, but 
we filled the boat up in like minutes. It was like me and my wife. The boat was like full, including like this big blue kid spa pool thing that was just like floating down the river. And so I kind of started thinking like, man, we need to do we need to do something more. So that year we put together what we call the Loco Trash Bash, Lower Colorado River, the Loco. And um, the first year, just all volunteers, we pulled out six tons of trash out of the river. So like the first 20 miles of the river, which is where the majority of the trash from from the city of Austin, like 20 miles down river. Whenever there's a flood, whenever there's high water, all this junk floats down from the city and kind of just gets deposited in that first 20 miles river. So we're like, let's clean it up. And we did. And then the next year, we how many tons did you pull out the first year? Six tons. Six tons. That's mind blowing. Oh yeah. That's crazy. Well, the second year we pulled out eight. Oh (laughs) Oh, man. One year later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it's, it's, and I mean, we got like all these great, uh, sponsors and it's really, made it a cool deal. So we called the trash bash because after the cleanup, we have a big party. Of course. Um, yeah. 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 Yes. I mean, that's so given. people giving, <laughs> giving us free beer and all kinds of prizes, you know? Um, and then we raise money because we have a, a, a nonprofit clean up the Colorado. And um, so we started the nonprofit so we could get money to help put on the event, you know, buy, trash grabbers, trash bags, you know, rent trailers, all this stuff. But, you know, we got like uh, Texas Disposal Systems, TDS. They're one of the big sponsors. They're like anything we pull out of the river, they will take it away. That's how we know how much trash we got, because they weigh it when the trash gets to the facility. They gave us free porta cans. Yeti's given us tons of stuff for prizes. The first two years, the party was actually at the Yeti store because the Yeti stores on the river you right. know, it's in town but it's on the river as well and it's just kind of grown into this huge thing unfortunately because of covid we had to cancel last year and this year you know it's kind of up in the air we we may have it this fall we may have to push it to the spring we're definitely going to do it i mean it's an outdoor event so it's not like you know we're putting a bunch of people in a small enclosed environment um but now we're kind of running into some conflicts with some other events but we'll, we'll definitely do it. But the thing is, is like we um, we sponsored what we called a virtual cleanup. So you go out anywhere, pick up some trash, take a picture of it, post it on social media, you know, local trash bash. And every month we're like giving prizes away for picking up trash, you know. So mm. uh, and we've and we've um, inspired a couple other groups to do, you know, river cleanups on some of the other rivers. And so it's just uh, it's kind of like our our feel good project. Um, so yeah, yeah, the Loco Trash Bash, cool. Loco Trash Bash with you know, locotrashbash.com, Loco Trash Bash on Instagram, on Facebook. Look it up, and uh, we'll kind of kind of keep everybody up to date on when it's going to happen, um, and what other things you can do. And, and also, we're trying to inspire people to do this same thing, you know, on other rivers, other states, wherever. So we've kind of gotten a lot of resources and a lot of know-how on how to make something like this happen. So definitely reach out to us, look up Loco Trash Bash, and let's get all this trash off of all these rivers. Because whether you're 
on a river, you're in the ocean, a lake or whatever. I mean, like if you're in the ocean, all this trash, that's where it's going is to yeah. the ocean. So you can stop it before it gets out of the river. That's just helping everybody. Well, Alvin, we might have to talk with you because we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now trying to do a virtual cleanup or something where we send them a sticker in the mail if they post, send us a picture right. that they picked up a bag of trash. We might have to tell you, talk to you later about logistics of how you manage yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. So we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk later for sure. Um, Zach, did you have any, uh, questions you wanted to ask Alvin? Uh, not that I can think of. No. Uh, Cliff, did you have anything? No, I don't. Um, Alvin, what, uh, since I've been around the, the hill country area, um, and I knew you back, man, shoot, six years ago when I started at Orvis Austin. Yep. I still got the pictures um, <laughs> and video. <laughs> I would even say in my time here, which has been very limited, you have exploded. Uh, your popularity has exploded, especially in the social media thing and the videos. I know you're, <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, I, I, mean, I don't, he's I don't single-handedly even... responsible for both Nirvana and JT <laughs> yeah. yeah. success. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I don't even know where, where my question is going with this, but maybe oh, how man. does that feel, or uh, what do you feel like your responsibility is kind of to the fly fishing community? Um, just kind of your thoughts on everything um, kind, of, kind of exploding over the last couple of years. Well, I think it – a lot of it goes back to the whole punk rock ethic, you know, that, that guy, Tim Kerr, I was talking about our, our guitar player who was the punk rock cult hero. His thing always was like, you know, you're, you're coming to our shows or you're seeing us do something that seems like really cool and exciting, but in reality, anybody can do it, you know? And like at the end of every gig, he was like, all right, thanks for coming out. Y'all go start your own band. <laughs> so that, you know, that's kind of where I'm at with it. You know, um, I think that uh, I want to inspire other people, whether it's fly fishing or it's weaving baskets, you know, whatever it is. Um, I mean, that's, I'm hoping that I can inspire other people to actually get out there and do stuff. I mean, you know, I don't think um, I'm trying to think of like who's the most rich, famous fly fisherman that I can think of. And, you know, whoever it is, they ain't rich or that famous, but I'm sure they're having a good time. And, and I think that's <laughs> the main thing. Like if you're you know, do, do yeah, you, you're waiting for a name, weren't you? <laughs> No, no, no. I agree with your sentiment that the most rich and famous fly fisherman isn't that famous. This is a relatively small community, yeah. although exploding oh, yeah. uh, in popularity. Yeah. Like, uh, I would I say half Alvin's the country doesn't being, even know what fly fishing is. No. I think Alvin's just being modest oh, yeah. because <laughs> his name's definitely in the top five to ten. <laughs> I don't know. Who's counting? But the thing is, <laughs> I, just to, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that this is not some unattainable goal. I mean, I'm I'm trying to like do more stuff. I'm thinking like, oh man, I'm just getting started. I can't wait till I figure out how to do X, Y, or Z. Then that's going to be awesome. And then I'll after that, I'll do this, and then I'll do that. But I, I just I think that you know, if I can inspire people to get passionate about doing whatever they're doing. Um, then I'll, I'll be happy. And I think that uh, my increased popularity 
is a good thing because it just allows me to say that to more people. Yeah. For sure. And I also, to, to kind of jump on the back of that, I know how hard you work because I've been around you for the past couple of years. And I also know how, shoot, you, I didn't know you had three YouTube channels. I think I knew that you had two. <laughs> And our yeah. YouTube channel follows yours. And I know how much time it takes to edit videos because I edit most of our videos and I know how much time you spend on the water. And so I know that you're grinding it out. Um, and so that you have absolutely earned your recognition uh, in our community. And also, uh, you know, giving back with the local trash bash and all of that, I think is, is, uh, is an important part of that, what you're doing too. So um, from us at Honey Hole Angling, uh, Alvin, thank you for coming on. Yes. And we appreciate what you're doing. Uh, our fly fishing is better because you're in our sport and we appreciate that. So um, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And we have to have some uh, off uh, podcast YouTube and uh, technical conversations uh, about oh, yeah. how to, uh, yeah. how to, how we can improve our channel and, uh, Maybe we can do some collaborations. I'll tell you everything I know. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. I learned it all on YouTube. <laughs> so hey, thanks guys for having me, man. I mean, I, uh, this has been a ton of fun. You know, I, I I'm always, uh, nervous whenever I put something on the calendar. Cause I got so much stuff on the calendar and I'm like, going, Oh, Oh God, Oh God, I got to do this. But then it's like, like tonight, this is this has just been awesome. This has been fun. I mean, awesome. If uh, I, I videotape myself, and uh, if, if you could see me now, uh, I've just been smiling the whole time because it's awesome. So, I hope you guys are super, super successful with the podcast. And, like I said, if I can do anything to help you out, uh, just let me know. Thanks, Alvin. And uh, we'll uh, uh, we'll get you live sometime too. We can have a little bit of whiskey and uh, do one of our full live shows because I think you'll find uh, some of our articles and <laughs> yeah. we, we talk about Florida man and just a lot of funny kind of <laughs> off on topic stuff. And it definitely just, smiles the whole time. It's just a good sure. time. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Hey, so Alvin, uh, you, you gave us permission to uh, intro and outro some bad mother goose music. Um, oh yeah. So what is your favorite song that we can outro to for bad mother goose? And just so everyone knows too, this is on Spotify and so uh, you guys can go jam out to Alvin's music. I will say, though, it is a little hard to find on Spotify. <laughs> it's because it's M-U-T-H-A. That's the key. Bad yeah, Mother yeah. Goose. Yeah, I'm so I'm super surprised. This is the first I've heard it was on Spotify. Uh, <laughs> man, I don't, I don't know. Like, like the, the uh, three songs pop into my mind. Two are just, like, obscenely obscene like language wise like like nwa like if, if nwa was from texas uh and then one is just so corny but like probably the the crowd favorite back oh there oh oh and then one more okay so the crowd favorite was like uh, our thing was we were pretty much all about the positive message bad mother goose was it was a multiracial you know band we had uh one woman in the band so it was like a you know multi-gender multi-racial band um we tried to run it as like a democracy and so we tried to you know promote just you know all those kind of ideas with our music 
Um, so we had this one song called Be Somebody, which is really funny because it, I've seen that saying like a million times since then. But I was like, was that the first, were we the first ones that said that, you know? Um, but that song is so cheesy now. I mean, like I hadn't listened to it in years, but that song Be Somebody, people love that song. Um, and then we did one that was kind of like pr proto rock rap called Rev It Up, which is which was a terrible song because it was about like running over people in your car, which, you know, <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the 80s, that was like not a thing. But we made a whole song about that. Uh, and then there was a song uh, called uh, Texas, which which was like as raunchy as anything NWA did before NWA was doing it. Uh, which is great. I don't know if you can even find that one. And then there was one tune that was on uh, um, our our one CD we put out called Time to Get, which was one of my favorites because it was a total like freestyle. And and I, I've listened to it a couple times in the past few years. And I'm like, dang, I had some chops back in those days. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. I found Time to Get. It's on Spotify. And Alvin, yeah, I don't yeah. know if you're going to be able to hear this, but I'm going to go ahead and cue uh, uh, our closing music. Thanks again for coming on, Alvin. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening, man? Got a little tape running. We'll see what you can do. Okay. <laughs> I can hear it. See, see, it's, it's, it's see, champion, happens, he just it up. This is Alvin, Yo, man. I, I, I freestyle, freestyle. There you go. There you go. Uh, he ain't go. He's oh, watching me stop. Hold He'll up. stop. Hold up. Okay, All right, let's try, let's try it again, Joe. Watch this, man. So fast, you won't be able to understand a goddamn thing I say. Kick it, Mike. All right, I want to see this. But it won't matter anyway. I want to see this. Yeah. You know why? Why? Because it's, it's, it's yeah. You know why? Because you're why? flat. And you're flat. Oh. Always flat. But on this shit, it don't matter. It's not fast enough, man. It's not fast enough. Just another rhyme. Everybody does it, but I ain't everybody. Life's more to me to get.